Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about six magic words for defusing conflict. But first, you'll learn about the basics of quantum computers with some help from Chris Bernhardt, author of the new book, Quantum Computing for Everyone. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Today, we're going to help you understand quantum computing. In the first half of a two-part series, we're going to call Quantum Wednesdays. Why not? I love alliteration. (laughs) I know quantum computing probably sounds super complicated, but I promise it's really not. In fact, you can get a pretty good understanding of quantum computers just by understanding two key concepts, qubits and entanglement. To help you understand those, we spoke with Chris Bernhardt. He's a professor of mathematics at Fairfield University and the author of the new book, Quantum Computing for Everyone. So buckle up, because it's time to demystify qubits and entanglement. Well, the basic unit in quantum computing is, is a qubit. And, the, well, let's go back to the basic unit in computing. That's a bit that's either a zero or a one. And it can be represented by something that can be in one of two states, like a, a switch that's on or off or a coin that's heads up or heads down. Whereas a qubit is something like measuring the um, spin of an electron. When you measure the spin of an electron, it either will be spin up or spin down. So when you measure it, it's just like getting a, a bit. You get one bit of information out of it. But before you measure, an electron spin can be in a superposition of both up and down. And So that's what we think of as being a qubit. In quantum computing, you're manipulating these qubits in ways that you can't just manipulate a bit. And then when you take the measurement, the final measurement, you get a a bit of information out. Okay, so how can you do more with qubits than you can with regular bits? Right, well, that's a really good question because um, when you measure a qubit, you know, it jumps to either being zero or one. And so an arbitrary qubit's in this superposition, and all you do have is some probability that it's going to jump to zero, some probability that it's going to jump to one. So, I mean, initially people were, I think, a little bit sceptical that you could actually do anything useful with qubits. Professor Bernhardt told us that that scepticism disappeared in the 1990s. That's when Peter Shore showed that you could use a quantum computer to break standard cryptography, meaning that all our commercial cybersecurity could be at risk of being broken. Not so great. Fortunately, the technology isn't quite advanced enough to do that just yet. And people are designing new ways of encrypting data that can withstand attacks from quantum computers. So don't worry about all your encrypted data getting hacked just yet. Okay, so a qubit, right? That's a bit that's in superposition of, say, both up and down until you measure it. Got it? Now let's talk about entanglement, which is the second concept you need to understand. Entanglement is the way you can create a relationship between two bits so that if you measure one, then you know the state of the other, no matter where it is. Here's more on entanglement. So when you take a measurement of a qubit, it always jumps to something. And when you've got two entangled qubits, when you take the measurement of of one of them, its entangled partner jumps as well, and you you know what state it's in. I've got to say, so so one really um, interesting application of this is um, teleportation. And this has actually been done by a, a, a team of Chinese uh, scientists who actually teleported a qubit from Earth to a satellite in, in low Earth orbit. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really clever idea. Uh, and what you do is, if you're, I mean, the, the trouble is with a qubit, if you're just handed a qubit, 
you can't tell what state it's in. You have to take a measurement, and as soon as you make a measurement, it jumps to either zero or one. But the idea with teleportation is that you want to say that, I mean, you've been given this qubit and you don't know what state it's in and you want to send it to me and you can do this through teleportation. So the way it's done is that if we are sharing a pair of entangled particles, you have one, I have the other one, and then you can then entangle your entangled particle or entangled qubit with this uh, qubit you're trying to send to me and then make a measurement on your two qubits and immediately my qubit jumps to one of four states because when you measure your two qubits, you're going to get one of four numbers out. You're either going to get 0, 0, 0, 1, 1, 0, or 1, 1. If you get 0, 0, my qubit is exactly this unknown, the state of it will be exactly the unknown uh, qubit you were trying to send to me. In the other three cases, there's a slight alteration that needs to be done, but it's clear what to do once you tell me what your two measurements were. And so once you give me those two measurements, I can slightly alter my qubit and get it back into the unknown state. So my question is about measurements. How do you measure a qubit in the first place? Like, what does that activity look like? You're not taking a ruler and, and placing it against it and, and saying, oh, it's an inch long or anything. So, so where does that measurement take place? And how does the other qubit know that the first qubit's being measured? How does the qubit up in the satellite know that the qubit down in China is being measured? Well, one way of doing this is I mean, with teleportation, it's generally done with uh, photons, and they're being measured uh, with polarization. So, you know, a photon will be either horizontally polarized or vertically polarized. They gives you, that gives you your zero or one. But the other question is, how does the uh, entangled qubit know what to do? Well, that's a really deep question. It just knows. Uh, and I mean, they're, they're correlated. And this is what Einstein really disliked about um, quantum mechanics. I mean, he called this you know, spooky action at a distance. And then the idea is as soon as you make your measurement, the entangled particle or entangled qubit jumps immediately. It changes state immediately. And not at the speed of light or anything. It's immediate. And so Einstein um, really felt that there ought to be some sort of deeper theory that could explain what was going on. Einstein wasn't right about everything, and that includes quantum entanglement. In the 1960s, a physicist named John Stuart Bell designed an experiment to test the theory of quantum entanglement. It's called Bell's Inequality Experiment, or a Bell test, and you can read more about that experiment on Curiosity.com, with links in today's show notes. Entanglement is tricky, but hopefully this primer on qubits and entanglement was helpful. You can dig in deeper with the book Quantum Computing for Everyone by Chris Bernhardt. He'll be back next week to talk about what's next for quantum computers, and we'll include a link to his book in today's show notes. Today's episode is paid for by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. NHTSA is working hard to combat texting while driving. Texting and driving isn't just a dangerous problem, it's deadly. And if you drive while distracted, you're three times more likely to crash. But far too many people still don't recognize the dangers. Did you know that when you send or receive a text, you take your eyes off the road for about five seconds? And at 55 miles an hour, that's like driving more than the length of a football field with your eyes closed. Between 2012 and 2017, nearly 20,000 people died in crashes involving a distracted driver. And if your own safety isn't enough reason to stop driving while distracted, here's another one. It's also illegal. That's why cops are writing tickets to anyone caught texting while driving. They're doing it to save lives. So remember, 
If you text while driving, you will get caught. You drive, you text, you pay. Today, we'll wrap up with a trick for clearing up a misunderstanding. It just takes six words. Ready? Here goes. Start a sentence with the phrase, the story I'm making up is, and then go from there. This trick comes from Professor Brene Brown, who has one of the most viewed TED Talks of all time. And this phrase helps you find the truth in a situation. So let's say you get home and your partner says, hey, we're out of groceries. You might feel upset because you turned that comment into a whole story. One that says your partner's blaming you for not thinking about the fact that you needed to pick up groceries on the way home and that you were screwing up. But maybe your partner was just hungry and letting you know that you didn't have groceries. When you have the presence of mind to say that magic phrase, the story I'm making up is, you're admitting to yourself that, first off, you did make up a story. And at the same time, you make yourself vulnerable to the other person. You're showing them your unpleasant emotions so that person can let their guard down too. And that's the first step toward finding a resolution. To deal with the stories in your head, Brown suggests asking yourself a few questions. What are the facts and what are my assumptions? What do I need to know about the others involved? And what am I really feeling? What part did I play? Asking yourself these questions could lead to some startling discoveries. So the next time you feel miffed by a loved one or get riled up by a coworker, start your next sentence with these six words. The story I'm making up is, and see where it leads both of you. Read about today's stories and more on curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. 